I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 266, apparently. (laughs) Well, you know, we've had that debacle for like two weeks and I took the blame. I said I fat fingered the number and was like, oh, instead of four, it was a seven. Mm. Well, as Tiffany would say, ended up winding up, it was my fault. Yeah, she had wrote it down wrong and then saved it wrong. So when I uploaded it, it, I was like, oh, wait, hold on. This isn't the right number. It was me. (laughs) I told her that because I came and looked at the book that she wrote it down. She was like, damn it. I wish it would have been you. I was like, I was hoping it was you. (laughs) Have a best friend, they said. They'll throw you right under the bus. (laughs) Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. Okay, so two guys that I've met on Tinder that have been from out of state, like they came over here, okay? They all were like, so y'all vote for your coroner? And they were like mystified because we have a lot of signs in people's yards about the coroner. I was like, yeah, does that not happen everywhere? I don't think so. I think some places the coroner is like the actual medical examiner. So like it's like a doctor position. Oh, okay. I think, but what do I know? I don't know, but they were like, those signs are huge because some signs are like really big. Yeah, I don't know. What do I know, girl? I went to public school like you did. <laughs> we were talking to each other in class. That's why we don't fucking know. Yeah, that we all, yeah, that's why we got in trouble too. But yeah, I was just like, huh, I feel like that's everywhere. But then I was like, no, actually, I don't think it's everywhere. Yeah, I think usually it's a like a physician. It was someone else for the coroner. And I was like, but I don't want that person. I want this person. And I was like, well, apparently I'm in on all the politics. Okay. (laughs) And they were like, why would you even care? I was like, well, one person has been three of my loved ones coroner. Yeah. If you don't have a death in your family. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't walk in the light over here. Okay. Your family just walks to the light. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Mine just happened to die in a hospice house, so uh, (laughs) didn't have to do that. Oh, gosh. Well, y'all know how Donna and I always complain about our ailments. Tiffany hates it, but we do. Well, I know that there's a couple of y'all that listen that have interstitial cystitis like I do. Donna loves to say it. I can't. I didn't sound like you could either. (laughs) Hell, I probably can't. But anyway, y'all, I'm in a flare up something bad. And I just want to share it because, again, we tell too much. (laughs) And again, I know I've said it before on here, something about it. And like we've gotten people in the Facebook group being like, oh, my God, I have it, too. Like nobody ever knows what that is. So I just wanted y'all to know that I'm dying. (laughs) Not pick line dying like I've done before. Right. Just Satan's hot ass hand is squeezing my (laughs) bladder right now. It's fun. It's fun. Hurts to sit, but it's okay. I mean, you want to be fisted, but not that way. God damn. No. Ouch. That would hurt so bad right now. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of ailments, um, I was talking to this one guy who I just think you would not like. I already know. (laughs) He's an Aryan. I don't know. Something about you sometimes, it's like if someone else is in the medical field, you're like, ugh. I'm territorial. Yes. Even though I know nothing. (laughs) But we were talking, and I don't know what it was, but we were talking about drinks. He was... Sidebar, I fucking love nurses. I have like four in my family, but continue. Yes. No, I know. But this is a guy off of Tinder for me. Like, so... So I automatically hate him because it's somebody for you. Yes. You're not wrong. Yes. But then on top of that, it's medical, you know, so I just, I just know. But anyway... We were talking about, like, he had a whiskey or something. He was like, what do you like to drink? And I was like, I can't drink. And he was like, oh, okay. And I was like, medication. And he was like, well, now I have to be nosy. Like, what kind? And so I told him, he was like, oh, okay. Well, tell them. They won't know. Well, warfarin. I'm on warfarin for my blood clotting disorder. And he's like, oh, which disorder? And I was like, um, antiphospholipid syndrome. And... (laughs) He was like, oh, gosh, like, when did you find this out? And I was like, well, when I was in the hospital and I had a saddle PE, he said, holy fuck, you survived? Like, (laughs) no one survives that. And I was like, yeah, for like a month, apparently I was, you know, near death. (laughs) Yes. But he was like, holy fuck. And I was like, yeah, that was basically everyone came around and was like, oh, my God, we've never seen someone alive from this. And I'm like, cool. And this bitch was going to leave the ER because they wanted to start an IV. (laughs) And I said, sit your ass down. True story. Man, good times. (laughs) It seems like a lifetime ago, though. Well, you know who's not tired of our ailments? Patreoners. Well, they might be. Yeah, true. But thank you so much, Sandra F. from Massachusetts. Linda T. from New York. Barbara H. from the UK. Eva M. from California. Caitlin A. from Virginia. Teresa L. from Nevada. Sarah M. from Texas. And Rajan M. from Indiana. 
Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon and supporting us. And if you want an episode shout out and all the shit they're getting on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. So I finally got to take my golf clubs on a spin. Oh yeah, tell them how you did. Not great. Not bad, but not great. I was going to say, it was not bad. She wasn't there. Well, I heard about it. And Colby told me when you weren't even around and he was happy about it. Like, he wasn't like, oh God, no. Well, he wouldn't have been because he's nice. (laughs) I would have been like, oh my God, he sucked. True story. It was harder because, you know, we got to the driving range a couple of times, but I'd been hitting with a men's driver and so the shaft to my driver I know okay Donna. shaft now i'm in here okay what the shaft like the women's shaft came in for the driver so we switched it so i missed the ball a couple of times because it was way shorter than i was used to <laughs> so that took a couple of getting used to and i want to hit everything like i hit the driver like including the putter so like sometimes it went way far but i hit my own ball every time like i like you can play like best ball where okay whoever's goes the furthest that's whose ball you go to Nope. Hit mine every time. Look at you go. And I only lost two. Hey, that's a feat right there. My goal was not to lose more than five. I am not a good aim. I cannot aim. Well, I didn't say I was good at it. (laughs) But I did get me some golf skirts that I'm super excited about. Her golf shoes, though, I'm in love with. Yeah, because y'all know I'm ADHD, so I'm hyper fixated on this right now. So I have to have all the things, like the glove, the shoes, the the skirt, the shirt, the blah, 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 blah. But my golf shoes, they're New Balance, and they're white, and then the N is like a... Iridescent? Yeah, so like, Colby... See, this is why I love him, is because he gets me, and he just tells me things that I like. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he notices things. Like, he was like, telling me how much he loved the shoes, because he's like, yeah, when we were on the green for that hole... They were purple. And then when you were over there, they were blue. Like, he just, <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, he just notices that kind of stuff and points it out to me. And I love that. Because he's me. Because who noticed his haircut? I knew he got a haircut. I'm just not nice. You knew he got a haircut. I noticed his I haircut. Know, I just don't, I just don't tell. They, like, I just, <laughs> I saw, he's like, if you, if you got your hair done, I didn't say anything. It hurt your feelings. And I was like, I know. Yeah, 100%. I'm sorry. I'm just a terrible person. Like, I just don't. <laughs> Think of that kind of shit to be like, hey, I like your haircut. And it did look really good. And he he trimmed his beard, too. Mm -hmm. The beard looked really good. And I I noticed. I just didn't say. Yeah. Well, you can't get upset if someone didn't say it to you. But I I haven't. But you would. I would. I'm really a terrible person. (laughs) You're not terrible. I mean, you're terrible, but not terrible. I'll tell you who's not a terrible person. Tiffany. Because I get to be her plus one on a cruise. Y'all are going to have so much fun. I know. I'm so excited. You're going to have so much fun and get to be lifelong friends. What's that from? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I know, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm really excited because I think we're going to Belize and... Montego Bay and No, M- Mahogany Bay. Yeah. It's in Honduras. Oh. Well, I went back and looked at the uh, receipts and she's right. <laughs> Y'all know I argue with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going. And I'm arguing with her about where she's going. So I got to get my passport redone. Do I have to have my old passport to get it redone? Well, before we get going, we got to talk about base because they are back and I am all about that base. We say that every time. But it's so true. Base is an overpacker's dream luggage. And you know who overpacks? Me and Carrie. I have to have all the underwear in case I have an accent. Uh, yeah. Totally get that. Underwear and shirts. Me, underwear and socks. Oh, Lord. Never, never a sock. But no matter what you're taking, there's a compartment. The thing is, is base is functional, roomy, but also fashionable. Right now, their Sherbert collection is out, and I want the berry one so freaking bad, I might get it. And I mean, I have a cruise I need to pack for, right? But it's hot pink, and then the other one is like neon orange. Oh, you know I love bright colors. And you know what would go great with it? My black Weekender bag. Well, I was going to say, the Weekender bag that I have from base was perfect for the cruise because it's got a bottom compartment where you can put shoes, straightening iron, curling iron, all the irons. Well, not all the irons on a cruise, but you get the point. And then the actual bag part is so roomy with all the compartments. And you know, we've talked about this before. Base was created by Shay Mitchell, who's an actress whom we love from Pretty Little Liars and the first season of You. And she wanted to make sleek, affordable bags and luggage and, you know, all the accessories to help us, well, and her, travel, still being fashionable, but also being functional. 
And the luggage has it all. It's got the 360 wheels. It's got a freaking cushion handle and a built-in weight indicator because y'all know your girl needs that because overpackers. Also, there's washable bags for your dirty clothes. And if you're like me, I like to separate what I'm worn and what I haven't worn because again, overpacker. So I don't want to have to do my laundry again. And every piece looks better with miles. So you don't have to worry about it getting banged up as you're loading it in and out of the car. It's loading in and out of a plane, a train, an automobile, whatever. Wherever you go, these bags are going to look amazing. And right now, Base is offering 15% off your first purchase when you go to basetravel.com slash creep. So that's B-E-I-S-T-R-A-V-E-L dot com slash creep for 15% off your first purchase. Look, these weekender bags are everything. So you need to head on over to basetravel.com slash creep for 15% off your first purchase. Base is everything but basic, okay? Y'all, say hello because HelloFresh is back. Spring is in the air. It's getting warmer outside. You don't have time to be inside at the grocery store or spending hours doing meal prep and all of that. You need to get HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. That is the best part for me. Right. It's delivered to your door so you can spend more time outside with your family or doing whatever it is that you love because this is getting delivered to your door. You don't have to spend all this time preparing the food. A lot of these meals can be cooked in one skillet, one pot wonders. Well, for me, that means I can spend more time binging shows on the couch, but also HelloFresh helps me not waste food. Oh my gosh. Same. You see all these videos of people like restocking their food after they go to the grocery store. Me, that's not what I do. I have to throw away all the food I wasted to put back the food that I just bought from the grocery store. Exactly. And that gets expensive. But like I mentioned before, HelloFresh comes with pre-portioned ingredients, so you're not going to be wasteful at all. And HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and is 25% cheaper than takeout. There's over 40 weekly recipes and over 100 seasonal recipes as well. You will not be disappointed in the variety. And look, not all of us are chefs and that's okay. HelloFresh's recipes are foolproof and easy to prepare in just a few steps. I don't know why you looked over at me when you said some people aren't chefs, but whatevs. Well, if the chef's hat doesn't fit, you know. True, but even I can cook HelloFresh meals. Also, you don't have to fight with your best friend on what do we have tonight? What do you want to go get? All the things because HelloFresh delivered right to your door and that's what you're going to have for dinner. And y'all know we love HelloFresh. We have been eating HelloFresh long before they became sponsors of this podcast. So what do you have to do to get on this? You got to go to HelloFresh.com slash creep50 and use promo code creep50 for 50% off. And guess what? Your first box is going to ship free. That's HelloFresh.com slash Creep50. Use code Creep50 for 50% off plus your first box. It ships free. So spice up your life and your dinners and head on over to HelloFresh.com slash Creep50 and use promo code Creep50 for 50% off and your first box will ship free. Okay, so Tiff had asked me to cover something like Jeff the Talking Mongoose and while I was searching for something strange like that, I came across a man and I was like whoa I have got to tell his story so it's not really paranormal or anything like that but it's definitely strange and unusual and I will say I'll give a content warning because there is some animal harm and (gasps) just some all-around gross stuff so I'll say content warning before I talk about that but just know like if you're easily grossed out you might just want to skip this one and go to Carrie's But also, before you do skip this, if you know of a story like Jeff the Talking Mongoose, send it over as a suggestion, please, because you know we love that damn mongoose. But today, I'm all about a man whose name I'm not even sure I can pronounce. I listened to different podcasts, watched YouTube videos, and they all said his name differently. It's French, and it's spelled T-A-R-R-A-R-E. So some say Tarare, some say Tarar, and then some say Terrer, and then others pronounce it with like a French accent. So I'm just going to say Terrar. We don't know a whole lot about his early life, and I know sometimes that's a little bit of a red flag, and you don't think it's real, but this has been documented. 
But I also think it's just because he didn't want to dwell on his past because it was a sad one. He was born in 1772. Tarar is not his real name. We know that. It's his stage name. And we don't know his actual name. But when Tarar was a young boy, his appetite was just too much for his parents. And they were at their wits end. They couldn't afford him anymore. And so they kicked him out of the house because they said, hey, you're eating us out of house and home. So Tarar was out on his own with an appetite he could never satisfy. He scavenged and did whatever he could to get food to survive. And that kind of brought him into his next phase of life. He was about 17 years old when he found some people who were traveling around Paris and their thing was like, oh, look what we can do. And while they're performing in the street, the others in their group would pick the pockets of the onlookers. Tarar became one of their star performers and he was known as a man who could eat anything. And he did just that. He's like one of those performers on America's Got Talent that you're intrigued by, but also disgusted by. Like the ones that do the pain stuff or like swallow swords and then their partner steps on it and stuff. Yes, it's intriguing. And how the fuck do they do that? But also you want to look away because it hurts you. So anyway, Tarar did in fact eat anything and everything. Because since Tarar could not satisfy his appetite, like... This was an amazing thing for him because the onlookers would buy him food. So he would, you know, just shove it down and, you know, I mean, he got paid for it, right? Well, then some wanted to see if he would eat anything because they were giving him food before. This is like the original OnlyFans. Right? (laughs) Yes. So they started bringing items such as corks, rocks, coins, like anything like that. And they just wanted to see how much he could stuff into his mouth. They would pay him to swallow apples whole. And even more than that, he would stuff some in his cheeks and look like a chipmunk. Because, you know, Tarar was rare. No one's like him. He was pretty thin, like 100 pounds, but he had a lot of loose skin. So like his cheeks kind of drooped down and so he had jowls. However, that's why they were great for holding food and stuff like a chipmunk, where he would really put whole apples in his cheeks and like pocket them. So he would expand them to fit anything he wanted in there. And his stomach would expand to basically being like Violet in Willy Wonka's factory. But then when he digested and pooped, he would deflate and the loose skin would hang. They said he had so much loose skin on his belly, he could wrap it around and basically wear it as a belt. What? Yes. And so now just imagine he's average height, kind of looks underfed because he's only like 100 pounds. But then he had all the excess skin on his face and his stomach area. But like, seriously, no one had ever witnessed an appetite like Tarar's. Like I mentioned, he was in his late teens and it's documented that he ate a quarter of beef in a day. That's basically his own body weight in beef. So when we always joke like, oh, I could eat my weight in insert food here. No, Tarar really could. And he didn't gain any weight from it. That might be because his body digested the food very quickly, like extremely quickly. And he was known to have really bad gas and he would burp and just you know, be kind of gross. But more than that, his pores secreted the nasty odor from everything he was eating. Oh my God. Because, oh yeah, I didn't mention that Tarar would eat garbage to try to quell his hunger. Like he ate anything he could. And you know, you are what you eat. So he would smell horrendous. It's documented that people didn't want to be within 20 paces of Tarar because his stench was so putrid. And they said his body was always hot to the touch and he was constantly sweating, like with the meat sweats. So he was really like Pepe Le Pew or Pigpen, but like for real, for real, had a cloud of stench around him. So here's a content warning with the grossness, like more than that, and animal harm. So just so you know, skip forward. He got to a point where while he was performing his acts and while he was just, you know, living his life, trying to feed his hunger, he started eating live animals. What? He would 
unhinge his jaw like a damn snake and eat things whole. Like, you know, how I said the dozen apples and he would do eggs like that. But he literally ate snakes. He ate a live eel without even chewing. He just like, oh, mm-hmm. and then it got worse. He ate cats and dogs. What? Without chewing them? Is he a python? He would chew these. Oh my God. He would basically grab the cat like a predator in the wild would, disembowel it. Okay, okay. Oh. Sucked its blood and ate it. Okay, 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 okay. Mm hmm. And then about 30 minutes later, he would literally cough up a hairball. That's, I could, I, I can't. Oh my God. I know. And, you know, some people say, like, animals aren't intelligent and all the things, but these animals knew what was up. People were like, no. When Tarar came around, the dogs and cats would scatter. Like, they would not beg for food, do any of that. Like, they were gone. And animals are intelligent. Oh, 100%. But, you know, some people are like, oh, it's just blah, blah, blah. No. They know. Oh, it's just a dog. So, Tarar soon went on his own and found fame. And so he was like, you know, doing his solo tour and shit. But once he passed out while he was performing and he had to be taken to a hospital, it was found that something was obstructing his intestines because, duh. Mm -hmm. But the doctors pumped him full of laxatives and he shit out the obstruction. And Tarar went back to his old ways. He even told the doctor, hey, look what I can do. Give me your pocket watch and I'll swallow it whole. And the doctor was like, okay, I'll do it. But if I do it, I'm going to cut you open and retrieve it. And so Tarar was like, never mind. You just can keep the watch. So then in his 20s, Tarar joined the French Revolutionary Army. I was literally about to be like, what year did you say? Okay, way long time ago, because I was thinking they probably didn't even have damn anesthesia. So he probably did not want to be cut open for that. Right. So he wasn't a soldier, but he did like grunt work. However, no one really liked him because of his stench and also the rations that they gave him could not sustain him. And I mean, they're trying to ration it out from all these people, you know? So Tarar started doing other soldiers' tasks in exchange for their meal rations. And this worked for a little bit, but he was forced to eat anything he could get his hands on because to him, he was starving. But nothing was working and Tarar actually passed out from exhaustion and malnutrition. So he was in the military hospital when a doctor named Dr. Percy or Baron Percy started to see him. And he's who we have a lot of this information from. He said the stench was so bad that Tarar actually had stink lines on his skin from it secreting out the shit that he was eating. And you know, sometimes it was actually literally shit. Oh my God. While he was in the hospital, Tarar was given as much food as they could give him. Like one time his meal was enough to feed 15 workers. Like he ate two beef pies, four gallons of milk, and nothing satisfied him. He was still starving. So here's where it gets gross again. But he would sneak down and eat old bandages from the hospital because he couldn't get full from the food they supplied him. He also started eating raw meat, like liver and lungs. And he would go and like rummage through the butcher shop's garbage and get like the scraps that they would feed to dogs. He would like fight the dogs off to get the scraps. So more doctors were like, hmm, Okay, this might be something we can use to our advantage. So they got with the general in chief, you know, for the French Revolutionary Army, and they told him about Tarar. So he was like, okay, well, we can use him for a spy mission. So let's test it. So they put a little note in a box, like a wooden box, let him swallow it whole, and they waited for him to pass it, which he did. And another soldier had to collect the box from his shit and was like, Yep, here's a note intact. It can be done. How does he poop out a box? I don't know. And you could do a lot of things with your asshole, Donna. (laughs) I know, and that hurts me. I'm like, well, (laughs) I don't want to know that. So they sent him to Prussia because at this point, France and Prussia were in a war. And they sent him through the enemy lines and was like, hey, there's this French prisoner. We need you to get this to him and, you know, all the things. Now, this could have been a good idea because no one is going to be like, this dude has a note in his stomach that he's about to shit out. Meanwhile, though, is he like, okay, if I eat it right now, one, two, three, three hours, I should poop that out. Okay, 
Like, how you right. doing that? But Tarar was not someone who blended in well. Because, you know, he looked different. He had the extra skin and stuff. He ate everything in sight. And also the stench. Mm. Also, he didn't speak any German. So he wasn't a good spy because he was just like, uh. You know, I mean, he stuck out like a sore thumb. And then he couldn't even talk his way out of anything, you know? So he was captured very quickly. But he lasted a day before he confessed that he was a spy. Like, he was flogged and tortured. And he kept that secret for a while. But he did tell them, look, I swallowed a box with a note inside of it. And, like, I'm going to poop it out. He's you as a spy. (laughs) Yes. Because, like, you're boasting that he lasted a day. He lasted a day. That's that's not very long in spy world. But he's not a spy. That's the thing, though. He's just like this guy who was like, yeah, I can swallow that. You know, he's not trained for it. Yeah. So they were like, okay, we'll wait it out with you. Locked him basically on a shitter and was like, just let us know when it passes and we'll get someone to rummage through your shit and, you know, find it. So he did. But the note wasn't important because they were just doing a test to be like, Did this note get to you? Check yes or no. Which was smart because, hello, if you had like battle secrets, like it would have been over with right then. Yeah, you don't want to trust that to a trainee. Right. Well, the Prussians tortured Terrar some more and even did like a mock hanging just to fuck with him. And he was like crying, you know, I mean, as you would if a noose is around your neck and they're just like, we have no use for you. But then they were like, eh, it's fine. Just let him go back. And so they let him cross back over to the uh, French line. And, you know, his days as a spy, they were over. Reminds me of the time that I was a a PI for a night and got (laughs) stuck in the mud Mm. and lost my suspect. Mm. Whoever I was following. Yeah. However, the days of him being studied in the hospital, they were not over. Because he wanted to be cured of this. And they tried to cure his insatiable hunger with different concoctions. Tobacco pills, wine vinegar, and only eating soft-boiled eggs, and even opiates. But nothing worked. His hunger was as prevalent as it has always been. So much so that there's a content warning here. It's real gross. Terroir was caught in the morgue. Oh my god. Yeah, eating some of the dead bodies. Oh, Why? He would also drink the blood from people or patients who were being treated by bloodletting. So like while they were being drained, he would drink it and he would get in trouble. But it was like, okay, okay, like, you know, he can't help it. All the things. However, it all came to a head when there was a 14 month old kid (gasps) who went missing and everyone pointed at Tarar. He didn't. We don't know, but he was kicked out of the hospital and he went back to living his life on the streets. But around four years later, Dr. Percy received word that Terrar was in a hospital in Versailles and he was probably not going to make it. Well, that's a bougie fucking hospital. (laughs) Terrar believed he was sick from eating a fork he had swallowed and it was lodged in him. So he's like, just give me the laxatives. I'll poop it out and I'll be good. But unfortunately, when Dr. Percy arrived, he concluded that it was not the fork that was ailing Terrar. It was actually tuberculosis. Mm. Terrar passed a month later in the hospital. He was only 26 years (gasps) old. Oh my God, he was so young. Mm -hmm. But remember how quickly his body digested food and stuff? His body seemed to rot very rapidly. They had to hurry to do an autopsy on him. But most said they couldn't because of the rotten smell. It was worse than ever, but one doctor did end up doing an autopsy, trying to figure out what was going on with Terrar, but he only made it halfway through because the stench was so bad, he could not go on anymore. I wonder if he decomposed so quickly because he had such a fast metabolism or something Mm -hmm. that caused all of this, and, and, and that's what happened. Yeah, and you know, they said his body ran hot. Mm -hmm. and stuff so i mean my butt runs hot but that doesn't mean i get to eat anything (laughs) i want well all the doctors kind of came to a conclusion that it wasn't something just mental with terrar he really did have an insatiable appetite that led him to eat anything in sight because he was trying not to starve trying to satisfy his hunger so it wasn't the only thing on his mind 
They also saw that his liver was really fatty. His stomach was definitely enlarged. Like they said, almost the size of his whole like body cavity. And that his gullet was so big that like when his jaws were open, they could see directly down into his stomach. What's a gullet? Like mouth, throat, all the things. I think that's what it is. I've heard people say like, open your gullet. Never. Down the gullet. Okay. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So his stomach wasn't just enlarged. It was covered in pus and sores. Ooh. Yeah. So they were like, I mean, something was actually wrong with him. So we know that Terrar is an example of polyphagia, I think is how you say it, which is like extreme overeating. But that's usually a symptom of something larger. So they say like he could have had, like you said, hyperthyroidism and other things that attributed to his insatiable hunger. Now on Ripley's.com, they interviewed a doctor about what could have been going on with Terrar. And he said, yes, it wasn't mental, but it could have been something in his brain. He believes that the sensor for hunger was damaged. So he never felt full and his brain kept telling him to eat. Dr. Moore, the guy that they had interviewed, said if they had looked at his brain, they probably would have seen an enlarged hypothalamus. Is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. And he also said that the reason why he never seemed to gain weight might have been because he gotten a parasite or like, you know, a tapeworm or something like that from eating all the raw meat he ate and just like, you know, the actual garbage and like carcasses and all that. But a lot of people are like, oh, this is that pica, but Mm -hmm. it's not really Because that usually deals with like a vitamin deficiency and it's like not that the hunger can't be filled. He was literally always starving. And usually with people with that or anything else where they eat a lot, they gain weight. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, he didn't at all. And as weird and mysterious as Terrar's life was, it's kind of sad Because he was never satisfied. His belly was always hungry. And he knew what he was eating was gross. Like, it's not like he had something wrong with him where, you know, like, oh, I'm not eating blah, blah, blah. Like, no, he knew. But he was just so hungry that he just tried to survive by eating whatever he could, no matter how gross it was. So, I mean, he did all of these things that were just like, oh, my God, I could never But he had to do it just because he wanted to survive. Yeah, we've never been that hungry. Right. And he was never not that hungry. Yeah, it's easy to say when you're sitting here with a full belly and your basic needs met. Yeah, but that's all I have about Terrar. But he's like, I mean, so many people have talked about him and stuff and I never heard of him. Because, you know, I mean, people who do like the eating competitions and stuff, they usually are thinner Like some people, you know, and you're like, where do they put all this food and all the things? But like, no, like his body was different. Like he literally had excess skin. It was like a balloon that would fill up and then release. You know what I mean? It was like something was definitely wrong with his like biological system. Poor thing. Like his parents literally abandoned him. Yeah. Because he ate too much. Poor thing. I know. It's really sad. It's also really gross. But it's really sad. But I was like, no, this is like so unusual because it's not just like, oh, he ate everything and yeah, it's pica and whatever. Like, no, he's still a medical mystery. I wonder how he would be diagnosed now with better testing and all of that. Yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, I mean, it would be so different. Like we might actually have an idea of what was going on with him. Right. I think it was like a conglomerate of a lot of different things. You know what I mean? Like how they said like, yeah, the hypothalamus might have been enlarged. Okay, well, that is a part of it. But then like his body was definitely built differently. So that was something from whatever. And then his powers combined, Mm -hmm. he was always fucking hungry. Can digest food extra fucking fast. And Carrie can digest some food fast. I mean, just think about how often he had to go to the bathroom. All the time. And they said like, As bad as he smelled, his shit was way worse. Oh. Because if you think about like the sores and stuff in his stomach, like Mm -hmm. his shit was like putrid and people had to go through his shit to get stuff. Mm -mm. But yeah, he burped and farted a lot. So like no one wanted to be around him. But also like that was just extra stench onto his 
normal. Mm. So you know he was lonely, too. Well, how you got to make me feel so bad for this man? I know. God, that breaks my heart. Because it wasn't his fault. But, like, what do you do when you literally cannot stop someone from eating? He could not stop eating. And that it's such, like, a biological response where he's eating everything because he's... It's almost like he's in a constant starvation mode. Yeah. Where... Again, like how I said, we've never been as hungry as him, so we don't know what we do in those situations because we've never feared for our lives of hunger, you know, whereas that's the state that he was in was this like perpetual starvation. Mm -hmm. Poor guy. I know. So hopefully yours is better than mine. Or at least didn't have animal harm or cannibalism. I can't believe your story did have all of those. I know. I know. All right. Well, let's just jump right in. So picture it. It's Christmas Eve in 1985. Now, why didn't you save this for Christmas? Because you're going to be like, there's no crimes around Christmas. Because it doesn't really have anything to do with that. Oh, okay. We're in Chester, Nebraska. There's a guy named Chuck. Chuck lives in Chester? Okay. And Chuck is like, all right, slow day at work. Don't know why he's working on Christmas Eve, but he is. I'm pretty sure he owned a gas station, which is why he's working. But anyway, they say it was a slow day at work. And he was like, you know what? I think I'm going to get a haircut. So he goes by his house before he goes to get his haircut because he had to get his shotgun because he was like, well, there may be some pheasants on the way and I got to gotta go hunting, you know. I literally thought you meant to say peasants and I was like, what year is this? Yeah. A gas station and peasant. Oh, no, pheasant. Yeah. An actual animal. Yeah, Nebraska. As he's going down the road, he's looking everywhere for pheasants when he sees something in this like kind of overgrown ravine. He sees something blue, and he's like, ooh, what is that? So he, like, stops, backs up, goes to look again, can't really tell. So he's like, something didn't feel right. So he got out of the truck to kind of go see what was going on. And at first, he was like, this is a terrible joke. It looked like somebody had a baby doll laying in the grass. And then he gets closer and realizes it's not a baby doll. It's not a mannequin. It's actually a little boy. Oh, gosh. He calls police who come and find a young boy about nine years old who's laying in his pajamas. And he has what I think is like a blue sleeping bag with him, like covering him up. So the police are doing everything that they can to figure out what happened to this young boy. There's not any signs of any trauma. Like there's nothing that they can look at this poor boy and see what happened to him. There were some scratches on his face, but that was from animal activity in the area. He did have some marks on his neck, and they at first thought it was from strangulation, but the medical examiner was like, no, that's from freezing. Oh, gosh. There was an autopsy performed, and there was nothing that pointed to the cause of death, because this was a huge deal. It was a very, very, very small town, like hundreds of people small town. You know, it'd been like 400 decades since a murder had happened there. You know, so people were like, what is this? Like, what happened to this boy? Who is he? Some people thought maybe he had wandered off and had died of the elements because we're talking Christmas time in Nebraska. It's like below zero there. And some people were like, no, this has to be a murder. But the police were like, this is foul play. This boy did not just walk to this area in his pajamas and die. Like, this is foul play. But who is he? Police are looking through missing persons reports. Remember, it's 1985. It's not like you can just boop up on Google and figure out who's filed a missing persons report. They had started calling him Little Boy Blue because of his pajamas. And I think they kept calling it like a sleep sack everywhere, which I assume is a sleeping bag. So I, I could be wrong. So because of all, like they called him Little Boy Blue. So the police are doing everything that they can to figure out who this child is. And again, with this small town, these townspeople are very invested in this child's story. And a woman from the town actually donated a cemetery plot. And then others like paid for him some clothes and some flowers and a coffin and a headstone. And they had a funeral for him. The police were actually, I hate to say excited about this, but excited about this because they knew that it was going to be full. There were over 500 people who came to this funeral. And they knew that this could be a really big deal because sometimes... You know, people come to funerals, people come to vigils, people come to stuff like that of their victims because they want to see the fruits of their labor, so to speak. They want to see the pain that they've caused. They want to relive it. They want to experience. And so the police were prepared to like look around and see like, okay, who's here? Keep track and see if they could figure out who this boy is and who did this to him. 
And this made national news. But with all this publicity, the police still had nothing. So they decided to put an article in Reader's Digest in December of 1987. They had a picture like rendered of Little Boy Blue and they had it like colorized so it like really looked like him. And they just put it out there in Reader's Digest because you remember how huge Reader's Digest was. 100%. So think about how many households this ended up in in the hopes that someone would know who he is. After the article made its debut in Reader's Digest, police got a call. It was a couple who lived in Wyoming and they said, so we think we know who that boy is. We think his name is Daniel Stutzman. We took care of him for a little while back, like months and months ago. Um, and we, we really think that this may be him. Some stuff did say that they were a neighbor, but I think that they were people who had taken care of him for a few months. We actually have a letter from Danny, which is what the little boy went by. And the couple actually had a photograph that had some like fingerprints, palm prints on it. So the police were able to take that and see, is this this boy? And they used some palm prints and it was a match. It was Danny Stutzman. I mean, it's good that they found him, but then sad. You know, you just yes. like, oh my gosh. So who's Danny? So Danny's dad had left Danny with this couple for a couple of months, had like done some traveling, picked him back up, and they went on their way. And they moved around a lot. His dad's name was Eli. And Eli used to be Amish. What? So Eli was raised as part of the Swartz and Truber sect. So basically, you have like old order and new order groups of Amish. The old order are the very traditional, and then the newer orders allow a little more of the English lifestyle. So basically, if you're not Amish, you're English. But the Schwartz and Trubers were like the most traditional of the traditional. Like you can't get more Amish than these. So they wouldn't have liked Tim Allen and Kirstie Alley to come? No. So it makes sense, though, why, even though this was such national news, like, why was this boy never reported missing? And why, through all this televised stuff about this boy, did nobody come forward? Because they don't have a TV. Yeah. So, okay, within these, like, Amish sects, you have, like, break-off groups that are, like, communities within that, but they kind of live close together. For the Schwarzentruber, and some stuff makes it sounded like it was pronounced Schwarzentruber, but it's spelled with a B, so I hope I'm not saying that wrong. Like other sects of the Amish, they have church like every other Sunday. They do it at somebody's house. They have the food and the services are like all day long. But they say that these church services tend to be much longer. Longer than a day? No, like longer in the day. Oh, okay. So like hours upon hours instead of like an hour or two, you know. They were very... Of course, you know, no electricity, no indoor plumbing. So some people can have like a sink that runs off of a well or something like that. But they weren't even allowed to use Velcro or bicycles. What? Their farms and their yards, they didn't keep them up. Like they weren't like mowed because that's too flashy. Wow. And then going into their farms and stuff was all dirt drives. Whereas some people, even in like the old order, but not in the Schwarzentruber. They were allowed to have like gravel or paved, but not them, only dirt. The roofs and stuff were only made of tin. Their clothes, which you know, like with the Amish, they have certain colors that they're allowed to wear, but some of them can wear like bright blues, mm -hmm. like mauve, that kind of thing. Not this sect. They could only wear like navy, burgundy, gray, stuff like that. The women's dresses, you know, they sometimes they can like stop mid-calf, not for these women, to the top of the shoe. Well, they need to because you'd have to go through the field of weeds and all. True, you gotta protect those legs. Uh-huh. So you know the hats that Amish men wear? Well, the brims of the men's hat have to only be four inches wide. Whereas in other sects, they can be wider, but not them because that's too prideful to have mm. wide brim hat. Look at that cocky buzzard in his wide brimmed hat. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Bet his dolls have faces, too, for his kids. <laughs> That's a low blow. <laughs> I mean, it's true. So you know how the Amish use horse and buggies, right? By the by, these Amish were located in um, Apple Creek, Ohio, which I found out Ohio has like the largest, according to this one podcast I listened to, um, I think this was a murder-ish podcast. Anyway, 
um, which that one had, it was so good and had so much information. But anyway, has like the largest population of Amish people. I was like, more than Pennsylvania? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Horse and buggies, right? Some people can have like brown leather strapping. Not these. Gotta be black. And you know how they're going down the road and they have to have, they have that like triangle reflector on the back. Yeah. Because it's like the law. You gotta have something on there. Yeah. Not these. Some of them have even gone to jail over it because they are so anti that worldly, prideful display. So what they... That's safety. Right. So what they do is they put reflective tape on the back of their buggies, but they will not get the triangle. They're so serious about it that, and I found a lot of this like specific to the Schwarzenegger Amish on um, Wikipedia. Like with the buggies, the lanterns, they would offset them. Like so one was higher than the other so that it wouldn't look like taillights. What the hell? Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't appear vain or prideful or worldly. That doesn't mean they have to be off kiltered. Okay, so Eli was born September 1950. So his dad was actually a pretty high-ranking bishop, which I didn't really understand when it said that because I thought there was like one bishop per like Amish group, but maybe this they have multiple. Eli was the 10th of 14 kids, I think, because some stuff was like he was the fourth and then some stuff said he was the fourth youngest. And so I was like, math, I think that means he's the 10th. Who knows? They don't have birth certificates. True. I'm like, I, really, I was like, how do they know? Because some stuff that said like, specifically like i think it was like september 28th 1950 because i was like oh he's one day older than my mom so as eli was growing up he was a shithead he was like really into horses which that's how the amish do all of their work and all of that and so he loved the horses but like he hated the work and so he would be like doing his thing with the horses but not doing the work and so he'd stayed in trouble and he was a bit of a pathological liar and his dad was like super strict especially because his dad's like high-ranking bishop. So, you know, all eyes are on them. So his dad was more strict because he was held to higher standards being the bishop's son, you know. I'm going to go back to the horses real quick because I saw a TikTok that I've been obsessed with and it's people who do like the shoes on the horse. Mm -hmm. I am just like fascinated by that. That's like my ASMR. Yeah. Sometimes that grosses me out. It does. Like it's that gross, but I'm morbidly curious that's how i'm with pipple popping but Ooh. i can't sometimes i can't do the horses because i just think about all the shit in their foot <laughs> literal yes so like i said he was a bit of a pathological liar and just a menace all around and he just did not fit into the amish way of life so you know how they do amish do rumspringa where they get like in their teens like 16 years oldish they get to go do the damn thing in the english life they get to drink and they do drugs and have sex not all do but you know some do they literally go wild right so in this area there was a bar named the doghouse that a bunch of these kids would go drink at during rum springa now some stuff said that the schwarzenegger group wouldn't let the kids leave during rum springa but i don't think so because i think eli left during his rum springa but i'm not very sure and because he stopped school at eighth grade which most amish do i think that's literally when their school ends and then you go to work but he was not really having the amish lifestyle so he joined a gang called the wild westerns okay it's literally amish kids who fancied themselves a gang who would go to the bar the doghouse All I can think of is Will Smith's The Wild Wild West song. Yeah, that's about as dangerous as this group was. I mean, good thing. We don't want them to be, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But girls really liked Eli. Apparently he was attractive. I mean, how would we know? Because they don't take pictures. We don't know what he looks like still. We do know what he looks like, but I'm just saying at this time, how would we know? They don't use mirrors. So the Amish do what they call singings. And basically that's the Amish version of a middle school dance. You go, you sing, you talk, you meet people of the opposite sex so that you can get married and have babies. So one night at one of these things, Eli meets a young girl by the name of Ida. Now, Ida lived in a different district, but she was Schwarzenegger. Did he say, Ida like you to dance? Okay. So they hit it off and they actually dated for a long time. Like I think like four years, which feels like a really long time in Amish years. Yeah. Eli became a school teacher at the Amish school, but like he and his dad were always at odds. And now that he's working, he was like, okay, I got enough of it. I'm going to move out. What I pictured, because some stuff said he like moved across the street, but who know how far across the street is in Amish land? I mean, that could be like 
four miles down the road. But he moved out with another Amish family, but they were in a different like Amish group. So they were a little more relaxed in their beliefs. They were a little more progressive with like electricity and things. So when he moved out with this family and he was making his own money and he was working at the school, he cut his hair and he started using buttons. Oh, snap. Because that's how strict they are. They couldn't even use buttons. What the hell? Yeah. And then he got real serious and he like put stickers on his horse and buggy. Oh, shit. He bedazzled that shit. He like legit. Also, you didn't even laugh at my oh snap. No, I giggled to myself, but I had more to say. I was listening to this one podcast called True Crime Kent. And this was the only place I heard this on or saw this. But they said that he put a button on his horse's like bridle or whatever. And it had a picture of his horse. And like Eli's dad came unglued. Glued. Because not only did he have a, a button, he had a button with like a picture on it. Like it was like, you had to go that fancy, you know, it was this huge deal. <laughs> so I'm not really sure why this happened, but I think it's probably because of the moving out and the buttons. But he did get shunned at some point. Because I think he like, this part wasn't really clear. I think he came back to his community and then got shunned. And so he went to live with another Amish family. And while he was there, he started drinking, doing drugs, and really started to explore his sexuality. Because Eli was actually gay, but he was Amish. And you can't be gay and be Amish. And so he had this kind of battle of, did he want to marry Ida and live the Amish life? Or did he want to be who he really was and be gay and live an English life? That's so wrong that you have to choose that. I agree. Eventually, though, he did go back and you know how they make you like confess all your sins, just like the Scientologists where you have to tell them all your dirtiest secrets. So then they have all this stuff on you. But he did go back and Ida was waiting on him, which surprises me. I'm surprised her family with him getting shunned and all of the things that he was doing. I'm surprised that Ida's family let her wait on him because they eventually got married. Maybe because his dad was such a high up bishop. That had to have been it. After he came back, he started teaching again. He bought some land. He and Ida got married. Not long after they got married, they had a son named Danny. But it wasn't just six months after Danny was born, Ida got pregnant again. They had, like I said, they had their own land, they had a barn, they had everything they needed. But, you know, some people think that maybe Eli was feeling trapped because, you know, this wasn't his choice. And once you're married in the Amish, you're married in the Amish and, you know, all of that. Well, on July 2nd of 1975, around midnight, Eli said that their barn was struck by lightning and it lit on fire. Was there bad weather around? No idea. I'm not the farmer's almanac. (laughs) Touche. No, but what happened was, according to Eli, that Ida had actually gone back into the barn part because they had like a milk thing next to the barn. I, I don't I don't know, Amish. They had some milk jugs that she was trying to save. So she was like grabbing them and trying to pull them out. Why is she the one going back in to a blaze to try to save the milk stuff? When she's like eight months pregnant at right. this point. But something happened and she got caught in the fire and Eli had to pull her out by her feet. Don't know why her feet was such a significant detail. Did she survive? She didn't. Oh my gosh. She and the baby were both pronounced dead. This is the part two I didn't really understand because some stuff said when emergency services got there, but like how? I mean, I guess if someone saw a barn on fire. Yeah, but like, because, okay, I know some people that are Amish allow phones in their barns and obviously Eli wasn't using the phone in his barn with it burning, but I mean that, okay, that's how they, but like. Calling the police and all is supposed to be a last resort for the Mm -hmm. Amish. But y'all, okay, y'all know where I stand with Amish and like not paying the same taxes. Because I did learn from last time that they do pay some taxes. It isn't like we do. And to use services that involve a car or modern medicine and all of this, only when it's convenient for you, when it's against everything that your religion stands for, irks my fucking nerves. (laughs) Like, okay, we can't have electricity. We can't have a car. We can't have all this. Yeah, but you know what? We got to go a really long way. So, okay. The workaround is if Johnny down the street has a car, we'll just get him to drive us. And then it doesn't count. And we'll still go to heaven. Like, I just don't get these workarounds, you know? Yeah. 
And then they also, I think she was actually taken to the hospital. It was a doctor that had seen her for a long time. I guess Eli said that something was wrong with her heart and it, like it just stopped beating. And that doctor was like, oh, all right, write that down. What? And so Ida's family was like, wait, what? She didn't have anything wrong with her heart. She's like 26 years old. Like she didn't have anything wrong with her heart. And I feel like most Amish don't because they eat very well. Like that, you know, they're working outside and building barns and eating fresh things from the ground. Like most of them don't have heart issues. Everybody was like, wait, what? But her death quickly was ruled an accident. It was, that was kind of the end of it. I did hear on the show Murder in Amish Country, I think it was on this, that's on Discovery Plus, but that um, he was doing something with his insurance. And I was like, wait, he's got insurance? Like, I just didn't really get it because if they're Amish, like, he was saying something about, like, life insurance and all of that. And so for them to be such a traditional sect, like, I just don't get it. But after Ida's death, Eli struggled. He had had issues with mental illness in the past with depression. And I think at one point his dad had even had him committed. But Eli really struggled with depression and being able to get out of bed. And eventually he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he shaved his beard off, had electricity put in his house, and was like, fuck all of this. And then eventually was like, it's time to move on. And in 1984, he moved to Austin, Texas. There, he had a remodeling business, and he lived as a gay man with Danny. So, like, he took Danny with him. He and Danny did have a roommate named Glenn Albert Pritchett. Glenn was just 24 years old and worked for Eli's remodeling business. So one day, Glenn Pritchett goes missing. And it was a little while, but eventually his body was found in a culvert outside of Austin. He had been shot once in the head. He was found on May 12th of 1985. So police are like, what? Okay, who is this guy? Like, where is he from? Like, getting all the information. They find out who, you know, he works for Eli. He lived with Eli. So they go to ask Eli some questions. And Eli acts as if he's stunned that he's been murdered because he's like, oh, I dropped him off at the bus station because he said he wanted to go back home. I think he lived in Montana originally. And he's like, yeah, he wanted to go back home. So I dropped him off at the bus station. I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times and he was up there. Oh, Lord. Right. But the police literally have no nothing to go on. And that case starts to go cold. Not long after the police question Eli about Glenn's murder, Eli leaves town. Now, I'm not clear if he took Danny for a little while or not, but eventually he did drop Danny off at a couple's house for about six months. Now, this is the couple that I think called to say, hey, we think this is Danny. But then some other stuff said it was a neighbor, which kind of made me think it was the neighbor who he moved in with. Mm, You know what I mean? So that's why I said, like, I don't really know which people it was, but I think it's this one. So Eli moved to Aztec, New Mexico, and around the time he was living there, there were two mysterious deaths. A guy by the name of David Tyler and Dennis Slater. So David Tyler was 36, and he owned part of a mechanic shop. His body was found near that business, and he died of a head injury. And then Dennis Slater was 24, and he was shot at this liquor store that he worked at while it was being robbed. Long story short of that, because, well, not very long, because we really don't know much about it, but the police did figure out that there was a connection with those two seemingly random murders. They both knew Eli Stutzman. So Eli was doing a lot of drugs too. Eli also would put in ads in like magazines and stuff like that. So we don't know if maybe he had a relationship with one of them or if maybe it was like a drug deal gone wrong or did he need money for drugs and he robbed a liquor store. I don't know. But apparently at least one of them like went to a party where he was. Not really sure. But eventually, I I feel like I know this feels like I'm jumping around a lot, but I'm giving you really all the information that we've got. But eventually after this, Eli went back to Wyoming to get Danny. And then from there, we know that that's when Danny was killed. But he was found in Nebraska. Right, because they they did all the traveling. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when they figured out who Danny was, police did go to the Amish community to be like, is there anything you can tell us? Like, because Eli wasn't there and and Ida's parents did open up to the police. They said that they had actually gotten a letter from Eli that said that Danny had died in like a car accident and that this letter was sent 
before Danny actually died. Oh, shit. Like, months. Whoa, so he was playing in it. Right. So eventually the police feel like they have enough to arrest Eli for Danny's death. They have to, like, extradite him and all the things. But because there was no cause of death, they could not arrest him for murder. They arrested him with a felony charge of child abuse. And they questioned him, and they questioned him, and they questioned him. But he would not confess. And without a confession, without a cause of death, without anything actually proving murder, police's hands were tied. And this was terrible for the community. They were very upset with this. Because Eli eventually pled guilty to two misdemeanor charges. Unlawful disposal of a body and concealment of the death of Danny. What the hell? He got 18 months in jail. (gasps) That's it. That's all they could do. How could they charge him with murder? There was no evidence. There was nothing to prove it. Like, you would literally be convicting just because this child died. Right. You know, like, the only thing that you can prove is that he disposed of the body. Yeah, so why did he dispose of the body then? Okay, so he said that they were driving from Wyoming, where Danny was staying with the people, And they were going back to Ohio to see their family. He said that they were driving and basically Danny just died. He was in the back, like the backseat of the car and he realized like something's wrong. Danny's eyes were rolled in the back of his head and he was like completely pale. He said he wasn't breathing, didn't have a pulse. And he said that at some point while they were in Wyoming, Danny had developed a quote respiratory illness. And so he basically said, like these are quotes, that he had to face the fact that Danny was dead. He couldn't figure out why. And so he tried to revive him and that he just spent like hours with the body and then just decided to pray with him and then covered it with snow and left in there. Leave him and let God take care of him. Wow. So like I said, he got convicted 18 months in prison and this was in 1988. So when the police who were trying to figure out what had happened to Glenn Pritchett got wind of him going to jail for his son's death, they were like, okay, let's see what we can do here. So the police go and talk to him and Eli's like, yeah, okay, actually, you know that whole bit I told you about taking him to the bus stop? Okay, a lot. He was like, really what happened was we were in the house. I heard Glenn arguing with someone, arguing. Thank you. God, that seems so silly. (laughs) Why? I don't know. It's a random G. English is dumb. So Glenn- You know, you sound like the the Amish. Amish. (laughs) So Glenn was arguing (laughs) with somebody and Eli heard gunshots. But he was like, yeah, I didn't go check. What? I mean, I, I do get it. Because if you don't have a gun going to a gunfight, I mean, I get it. While the police were there talking to him, though, they did notice that he had, like, a lot of horses and stuff at his house. Like, like horse, like, things. Figurines. Yeah, that. Knickknacks. And so they get him talking about horses. They, like, asked him if he owned any. He's like, yeah, I keep them at the blah, blah, blah barn. Kind of find out that was, like, a mile away from where they found Glenn's body. Wow. And again, like, the dumping of Glenn's body, very similar to the dumping of Danny. And Eli went to court. He had a trial, was found guilty, and sentenced to 40 years in prison. And this was in Texas. But Texas had a law that basically said, if you commit murder like with a weapon, duh, you have to serve like at least a quarter of your sentence or whatever. Eli served 13 years. What? And he was paroled in 2002. So he's out. Yes. Okay. So after he got out of prison, Eli stayed in Fort Worth. He had this apartment and he worked making leather goods, but it was not a good life. Eli was addicted to crack. He had HIV. And on January 31st, 2007, first responders went because they hadn't been able to get a hold of him. And they found Eli Stutzman um, had died by suicide. Oh, gosh. Some people thought that maybe there was some foul play because this apartment had kind of become a, a stop for like sex workers and drug addicts and all of that because they were like meeting up to do drug deals and yada, yada, yada. So some people thought that maybe because he didn't leave a suicide note that maybe it wasn't self-inflicted. He had self-harmed by cutting himself. But there was blood in other places. Like there was blood in the bathroom and he was found in his living room. But police and the coroner and all were like, no, 
he did it in the bathroom, but it didn't kill him immediately. Mm-hmm. So he like made his way into the living room and that's where he passed. So it it wasn't like an altercation that occurred in the bathroom. You know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't a setup like that. After Eli died, they did take like DNA and all of that from him because they're trying to link him to David Tyler and Dennis Slater's death. But as of right now, those cases are unsolved and people believe that Eli did it, but there's really no proof. Yeah. Wow. So basically, they think that Eli is the first, if maybe not the only Amish serial killer. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Why did he kill Danny? So some people believe that he didn't want Danny raised Amish, but Danny had literally been there for everything. The murder of Glenn. He had seen his dad live out as a gay man. He had seen the drug, you know, he had seen all these things. And so he just couldn't let him live. Selfish. Yeah. And some believe that maybe he didn't want his family to find out because of their Amish beliefs and all of that. He'd already been shunned and all of that. And some say if Ida hadn't been Amish, they probably would have looked into her death more and, you know, he would have gotten in trouble for her death and Mm -hmm. and then potentially, we know two other lives would have been spared. Yeah. But potentially two others too. Yeah. Eli had a lot of problems, a lot of mental illness, and it's not addressed because he was Amish. Mm -hmm. And he, I mean, he even as a child had depression issues and all of that. And it just wasn't addressed. I mean, not like you have depression, you're going to go murder people. Obviously, that's not true. But he had, it seems like, like maybe a little borderline personality disorder, you know, because I am a psychologist. But with I don't know. Again, just because he has a mental illness, borderline personality disorder doesn't mean that you're going to kill people. I don't understand why murder is the first thing that goes on with people. Like, I need to get out of this. I'll murder this person. Well, especially for him, because he had moved on from his Amish life, like, multiple times. And, like, I realize there's no divorce in the Amish world. But, like, just leave then. You've already just left. But he does always come back because, hello, he has an eighth grade education. And he probably didn't have a birth certificate or a social security number or anything like that to be able to make it in the English world. So that's probably why he kept coming back and he felt trapped and all the things because they don't have social security numbers or birth certificates or any of that. You know, because yes, could he, I mean, he had trades that he was very skilled in. I mean, he had a remodeling business. He had a leather work, you know, he had, which the leather working he learned in a prison, but still like he had trade skills. Do you think he made Bible covers? That's like, exactly what he made. Oh my God. Like that guy in Texas. Have I done this story? No. Oh, okay. Sinister sightings. Oh. The mom dated the death row yeah. guy. And oh, he, he was death row. Never mind. Yeah. And he made her a Bible cover. Yes. That's what he, yeah, they probably were roommates. Oh my God. Sellies, if you will. Well, that's just a connection right there. God, this one's just so sad too. It's senseless. Well, I mean, yeah. all murders are senseless, but this like truly. I don't know how people do that to their own kid. And then just to leave him out in the elements. That, and then again, how he sent the letter to the in-laws to uh-huh. be like, he died in a car wreck. I don't know. On that um, Amish murder show I told y'all about, they even said that he would send letters and like made it look like kid print, like Danny wrote it after Danny was dead. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But he was a compulsive liar that would yeah. do anything, say anything, do anything to manipulate his way in and out of situations. So, I mean, that was what he was trying to do. Yeah. Well, these stories were depressing. Well, it is true crime. So you're putting all the blame on me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget, there's tons of ways you can support us on Patreon. Of course, if you want that extra bonus content, support us by supporting our advertisers. That's a huge way. But a way that everybody can support us is through likes, reviews, and subscribes, reviews, and reviews. That truly (laughs) helps us. So thank y'all so much for listening. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared.